Welcome to Homeschool Companion, your source for information, motivation, and inspiration. If you're part of the homeschool community or simply interested in learning more about home-based education, stay tuned. Together we'll examine the latest resources, learning styles, and teaching techniques. We'll speak with experts in the field to help you uncover every homeschool advantage. We'll also present suggestions on how to keep Christ in the curriculum as we explore fresh ways to teach and learn. Here's your homeschool companion host, author, educator, and children's ministry specialist, Dr. Rose Gamblin. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. Today's title of our devotion is A Cool Drink on a Hot Day. We're reading from Windows on God's World, and our text is taken from 1 Corinthians 9.25. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. You have no doubt heard that if you are really thirsty, it is better not to drink too much at a time. Little drinks are best for the hiker, and a horse is not allowed to drink as much as it wants. There are perhaps several reasons for this. One that recently came to light has to do with animals that live in desert areas found in Africa and Australia. A biologist was studying walrus, a type of kangaroo, walrus, and they're found in the arid area of Western Australia. To get the animals to come where he wanted them, he provided water, knowing how hard they normally had to work to scoop out a water hole that furnished very little water. Strangely enough, however, very few wallaroos came to drink. Even when the temperature was 115 degrees in the shade, they would not drink. Naturally, he wondered why they refused such a bountiful supply of water. The answer came first from Africa, where it was learned that cattle give off excessive amounts of their body's nitrogen after drinking. Tests in Australia showed that the same was true with the wallaroos. The reason nitrogen is so important to conserve under those circumstances it is, is that it is one of the main elements that make up protein, and there isn't much nitrogen-containing food on the desert. So to preserve what little they have, animals have an instinct that tells them to be extremely careful not to drink too much. Those desert animals who exercise self-restraint in their drinking can teach us an important lesson. As our text tells us, every person whose goal is heaven practices self-control in every area of life, drinking, eating, entertainment, dressing, and all others. Adam fell by the indulgence of appetite. Christ overcame by the denial of appetite. And our only hope of regaining Eden is through firm self-control. Wow. Wallaroos. That's an interesting topic we haven't discussed before. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We ask that our minds be continuously turned toward you, that every breath is a prayer of thanksgiving, and that we just stay focused on you. Thank you so much for hearing our prayer. Amen. Tada! Arts and crafts. So today we're talking about wallaroos. They are big kangaroos. I think I could be wrong. So if you have a chance, go to my Pinterest site. My call letters are MRGamblin2. That's the number two. 
and you go to the board called Windows on God's World, and you will see all about Wallaroos. There's a couple of videos there. There's a learning packet information. And I just hope you have fun learning. You know, you can take any one of these shows and spread it out for a whole week. That's the beauty of podcasts. You can take one of the podcasts and say, we're just going to do this stuff. You know, I'm tired of the regular stuff. Or if you're new to homeschooling, you can use it all and create your own curriculum and save a lot of money. Well, whatever you do, have fun. Curriculum Corner. All week long, we've been talking about putting as part of your plan. And curriculum just means that, your plan. It includes curriculum products, which are the books and the thematic units and the supplies and stuff. But it also includes your mission, your philosophy, what you want to accomplish. And so part of your plan needs to include how you as a parent take breaks during the day and take breaks during the learning season as a whole. So I'll have people ask me, should we take a vacation? Absolutely. Should we take summer off? Absolutely. Should we take a Christmas vacation the same time public school's taking it? Absolutely, if it fits your style. Now, if you're a traveling homeschooler, you you just do the best you can and you take vacation when you need to for the travel. So today we're going to talk about assessment. And who would have guessed that assessment could be a break for mom and dad. I do assessments every Friday. Sometimes it's as simple as putting up a couple of questions on a whiteboard and they have to answer that. Or sometimes I make a more formal one where where it's a little quiz covering what they have learned for that week. And I'm always checking, do they understand? Can they on their own now figure out how to do this problem? Or on their own, can they read this paragraph and come up with a Venn diagram of the two characters that it's talking about? Or on their own, can they write their letters from A to Z? Or on their own, can they write their numbers from one to a hundred? I mean, for the younger ones, I start one to 10. And so that assessment time, if you make one day a week, kind of a concept check, assessment, test, quiz, whatever you want to call it, you actually can give yourself a break for doing direct instruction. And that break from doing constantly doing direct instruction or doing all your kids' work. You know, parents fall into that trap and kids are very clever at getting teachers and parents to do their work for them. I don't know how to do it. So what do I do first? Well, then what do I do? What do I do next? And it's, you know, it it can become a vicious cycle. So think about one day where it's just assessment. You're finding out what they know, what they don't know. I try to make my assessments easy enough so that they can do it independently and give myself a little break. There you have it. Questions Parents Ask is about a mom who has ADHD. And she has it very severely and she feels like she's failing her kids because she can't keep a schedule. 
She tries so hard, but no matter how hard she tries, she never has been able to. She gets overstimulated or overwhelmed easily, and then she gets bored and finds herself changing things up when she shouldn't. She thinks all her kids are normal, and she believes they would thrive on a routine, but she doesn't know what to do. So I'm going to just leave that cliffhanger, and we'll talk again about that because that's an interesting question. It's never come up to me before. What if you as the educator are ADHD? And I fully believe I'm ADD. So I will share with you some of the strategies I do to get through my school day. This question comes every so often, and that is, do you believe in spanking? Well, I've heard two things on the verse, spare the rod and spoil the child. I've heard it interpreted that it wasn't really banging on a sheep with a rod. It was taking that rod and guiding them gently so that they wouldn't fall in a crevice or do something like that that could harm them. So it didn't mean, you know, whipping your children. I think it should be done very sparingly. If you come, if you and your husband have agreed that, there will be occasionally that time for a corporal punishment. Then you need to agree on that. It's interesting because in my family, I have two couples that decide to do gentle parenting and their children have never been hit. And then I have two couples that said, hey, if you are disrespectful to me, you're going to get a spanking. If you flagrantly disobey, you're going to get a spanking. And guess what? All the kids have turned out wonderful. Now that could be my grandparents' uh, bias here, but they've all turned out wonderful. And I'm really proud of the self-control and self-management that both groups have. So it's really something you need to pray about. Decide what God wants. I will just say this. This is just a little personal story. My son, his wife wanted to do gentle parenting. My son, who was a product of corporal punishment, didn't want to, but they had some talks with each other and they decided they would go that route. And I saw a lot of work. It took a lot more work to gently always guide that little toddler, to redirect that little toddler. And then uh, one day they were traveling back from the ocean. It was about a 10-hour drive. Well, six hours in, uh, not not even six, maybe four hours into the drive, the little two-year-old got sick and tired of it. And so he started screaming. And he screamed at the top of his lungs for six hours. Uh, My son said that at that point, he really wondered about this gentle parenting because (laughs) he he knew that if that had happened in his day and age, he would have, if nothing else, he would have had um, a hand. I would have put my hand over his mouth. I didn't like to, to strike my children either, but I didn't put up with crying for hours. And so now you can take that for whatever it's worth, that advice, and apply it to your own situation. Well, we're going to have a wonderful guest coming up, a fire marshal. And you know, we want our houses to be safe. So this is really important information. We'll be right back. 
Here's Dr. Rose Gamblin with the Mind Matter Minute. Thanks to the latest research on the human brain and psychology, we now know that little boys are more emotional than little girls, but they don't have the vocabulary to express their emotions. We may be tempted to try and calm the boy down by acting like he is acting, or saying, how would you feel if I acted that way? The reason these strategies don't work for boys is because they don't develop mirror neurons as soon as girls do. Mirror neurons are those neurons that help us understand how others feel. This is where empathy is understood. That's why guilt trips aren't the best way of reasoning with a boy. Remember, understanding their mind matters. Mind Matter Minute is brought to you by MRG Media Ministry. For more information on topics about learning, go to mrgmediaministry.com. That's mrgmediaministry.com. You have been listening to Homeschool Companion, a production of MRG Media. Be sure to join us on Facebook. Just type in the name Homeschool Companion. For more on this or to contact us, go to mrgmediaministries.com. That's all one word, mrgmediaministries.com. Welcome, welcome. I'm here with Chief Belton, and we're going to talk about fire today. We've been talking about education theory and adult learning, and I've learned some new words, and andragogy and contiguity theory. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's part of, um, I just love learning new things. And we were t- I promised our listeners that we would talk about some of the things that are hitting home for you that maybe we just go about our lives and we don't realize all the work it takes to keep a big city like Baltimore safe. So tell me a little bit about some of the statistics uh, uh, concerning fires in Baltimore City. One of the uh, things I wanted to do during my research was determine if there was a correlation between adult education and fatal fires. So I had three research questions in the paper. And the first research question was, how many victims perish in fatal fires occurring? I just used a three-year span, 2008 and 2010. And the first research question was, was how many victims perish in fatal fires that occurred in Baltimore City during the years 2008 to 2010? And it was revealed that in 2008, there were 19 fatalities. 2009, 25, and 2010, they were 20 fatalities. I mean, for as big as the city, that sounds like a pretty small number. Is that a good, I mean, as far as, did you compare it with any other large cities? I compared it with the national um, average. I did compare it with the national average, and it seems as though we're slightly higher, but however, our um, view is is that one fatality is too many. Yes, and anyone who has a loved one that perishes in a fire would agree 100% with you. So uh, what does the city do on a regular basis to try to keep those fatalities to the very minimal? Well, what we do is we have a program called uh, the 311 Smoke Detector Program, 
where you can call 311. And this is in Baltimore City, by the way, now. In Baltimore City, if you want a smoke detector, you can call 311, and a fire unit will come to your home and install a smoke detector within two hours after you call. And the good thing about these smoke detectors are, is, is that they contain a 10-year lithium battery in it. So once you put it up, that's it. You don't have to change it no more for 10 years. That's awesome. All you have to do is check it once a month. Um, do you get a lot of, do, do, do you think people are taking advantage of this? Absolutely. Do you know about it? Yes, yes. We have a very good call volume with the 311 program. And typically, the volume of requests for smoke detectors through 311 tend to increase after a fatal fire. Mm-hmm. And this program been in effect now for a little over a year. And it's working real well. It's paying um, dividends. I know that my listeners are sitting there going, I- I'm going to go out and get that smoke detector. I'm going to do that. But what are some other steps parents should do to ensure that their children... I mean, they don't need to die in a fire. They can get seriously burned. Absolutely. And most people that uh, perish in fatal fires, it's not the fire that kill them. It's the smoke. Mm-hmm. And many times, many times the smoke get them and the fire never touch them. Yes. Yes. So what that comes down to is education, 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 education. So the parents need to the parents need to be educating their children, and the parents need to be educated on how to educate their children. Okay, so tell us some tell us just uh, some basic things that parents can do right now. Right, basic things they can do is perform. There's this acronym that we use. It's called Edith. E D I T H. Edith. That stands for exit drills in the home. Exit drills in the home. Yes. What Edith does, it says that in every room in your house, you should have at least two ways out. So if you're in a bedroom, you should be able to exit through the door or through the window in the event of a fire. So would you recommend that a family actually practice these exit drills? Absolutely. Just practice them? Absolutely. Because as we talked about, Contiguity theory. Yes. That movement. Mm -hmm. You practice, you practice, and practice, whereas eventually, if it does occur, automatically you're gonna react. And and how at what age? Let's see how I should be able to as soon as they can start walking. Absolutely. You need to have some I mean, of course the toddler you're guarding them a hundred percent of the time. Right. And even then, you know. And Edith doesn't just stick with children. It has to go all the way up through adults. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about all the way up into um, your uh, geriatric population mm-hmm. also. This needs to be practiced. And grandparents. I'm I'm a grandparent. Now I find out that you are. Yeah. Um, I When my grandkids come and spend the night with me, we mm-hmm. have a basement that's that has Belco doors and then you have and then the other route is up and then there's some windows and so we have a fun time but we take it pretty seriously that we practice how we're going to exit so that they know how to open the Belco doors they know how to open the windows in the basement they know those kind of things because right and we also teach too is that before you go through a door that's closed you always feel the doorknob first before you open it if the yes. doorknob is hot, we don't want to open it. Yes. yes. And if it's cool, 
open it slowly. If you feel heat or smoke come in, mm-hmm. close the door back immediately. And I'm sure with the modern, you know, safety devices that are in buildings, there's probably, a, that probably has helped keep, you know, the fatalities and the serious burns down because now there's a pretty stiff requirements. All the buildings have sprinkler systems yes. and smoke detectors and everything like that. Yes. I'm going to give a spiel for sprinklers. Okay. Now. <laughs> Even though I know we just, in this mm-hmm. church, they came in and said, you have to have them after we were just a, almost completed the building. Right. You know, the good thing about sprinklers, since sprinklers have been installed, there has not been one recorded fire death where there's been a sprinkler activation. Wow, that is awesome. Not one. Wow. That's statistic. That I mean, that that's statistics talking right there. Mm-hmm. And well, that it, they have a real reliable record. And I have to tell you this too: sprinklers, for the most part, put the fire out before the fire department get there. Yeah, and it helps uh, keep the smoke down too. And it lowers your um, mm-hmm. insurance. So Absolutely. even though it might be a pain for that church or school to be putting them in and the dividends can far outweigh that expense absolutely as a matter of fact in baltimore city sprinklers are required in um new residential construction and there's a push for that to be nationwide in the um fire codes now do you have any uh personal experience that you could share with us as far as a challenge that you faced uh, in your field and and how you worked through it or something that you would like to, some words of, of advice as we're coming here to the close of the show? I think the big challenge is is that the public just needs to take firearm safety seriously. It seems as if there's a big interest when there's a tragedy. Mm-hmm. And I think fire safety needs to be 24-7 in the forefront of people's minds, in addition to other issues such as crime, and things like that. I think fire safety needs to be there. And I think as people gather more awareness of fire safety, because there's little tidbits that they are ignorant about. Mm-hmm. I have to say that I've seen during my experience as a fire investigator, you know, looking at finding um origin and causes of fires that people need to be aware of. And if they are aware of these things, I mean, just just little mm-hmm. simple things. I believe that our um, fire rates would be down and fire fatalities also. Now, what is the most common cause of fire? The most common cause of fire is cooking. Cooking. Yes. The most common cause fatal fires is smoking absolutely with that we had come to the close of our show thank you so much chief belton for spending this time with us and we will we'll catch up with you again in a couple of months thank you so much looking forward to it thank you we'll have one last thing to say and that is god bless you have been listening to homeschool companion a production of MRG Media. Be sure to join us on Facebook. Just type in the name Homeschool Companion. For more on this or to contact us, go to mrgmediaministries.com. That's all one word, mrgmediaministries.com.